every five, maybe every eight years or so, I repeat a theme that God gave me to preach in 1995. The first time it hit me uh, about this message, uh, it was uh, it was just a wow. I hope today, in some degree, this the Bible will simply knock your socks off. It's not the, the person preaching the Bible, it's the Bible itself will knock your socks off. If you listen to the Bible and believe the Bible, it will just knock your socks off. It'll challenge you. It'll stretch you. It'll help you all the way to heaven. It'll help you see who God is, what his mind is like, what he thinks like, what his value system's like. For you and I are so far away from God in our in all those areas I mentioned that if we're not careful, we'll make a false God in our own image. What do I mean by that? We'll make a God that we think should be. In other words, I've had people tell me God would never send anybody to hell. A loving God would never do that. Well, that's because they hadn't read the Bible and didn't believe the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible talks about it and is clear about it. But the human that was talking to me there had made a God in their own image, a false God, if I may say that. And so what a, what a, it's real common it's real easy for you and I to make a false god in our image. Uh, be, beware of that. Be careful. I've heard so many people say, well, I think, I think, I think. It doesn't make a difference what you think. It makes a difference what the Bible says. It doesn't make a difference this morning what I think. It makes a difference what really, what really does the Bible say. That's what we're trying to mine. That's what we're trying to get down to, is we're trying to get down to I'm going to spend 30 minutes up here doing my very best as a human, but hopefully supernaturally through the Holy Spirit and with the use of the Word of God to mine down into some jewels, into some spiritual truth that will cause you to act and to be what God wants you to be. Because he, what He wants you to be is the best that you could possibly be and for His glory. Um. You remember the 12 story of the 12 spies? Most of you know the Bible. I, I'm sorry to assume you know the Bible, but I'm going to I'm going to assume you know the Bible somewhat for the time's sake. Otherwise, this was a this is about an hour and 15 minute message that I'm going to do in 30 minutes. And the reason I'm going to do that in 30 minutes is because I'm going to assume you know some of this and not uh, go through the details of it prior to what I'm saying. So we're, 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 we are the children of Israel this morning. We have seen the 10 greatest miracles ever propagated in this world. We've seen the greatest superpower of all time humbled. Pharaoh finally has said, look, take everything you got, your sheep, your cattle, your clothes, your and, 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 and even the, God told the children of Israel, go ask, told the women, go ask all your Egyptian neighbors for their jewelry, for all their, for all their precious things. And, and the Egyptians, which had just lost all their firstborn, the Bible said, came out with all their jewelry and all their gold and gave it to the children of Israel and said, please, as an offering to the God that had just wiped them out. The seventh, the, 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 uh, the ten great miracles 
that we see in the Bible against Egypt were against the gods of Egypt. Very specifically, I did a whole study on that, against the ten top gods of Egypt, every one of them. And so the gods of Egypt, those false gods that they had created in their own image, were completely dismantled and destroyed before their eyes. They realized that Jehovah God, the God of the Israelites, was the God. And so they brought all their jewels out, gave it to uh, the ladies as an offering, really, because they were going to offer. Remember, he said, we're going to go in the wilderness about three days' journey, and we're going to make an offering. And it's take it, take it, leave. So he, the Bible says they plundered the Egyptians of all their wealth. And uh, so that's the background. They, they have wandered a year. They've gone to Mount Sinai, they saw fire of, of come down upon that mountain, but it did not consume it. But Moses went up, got the Ten Commandments, the law of God, which was just representative, eventually would be 613 commandments from God. Those Ten Commandments summarized them in two sections, their responsibility to God, responsibility to each other. You love the Lord like God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, you love your neighbors yourself. That's the law, that's the whole law. We need help to do that, don't we? We can't do that without God. So they had gotten so many of these wonderful things. They had seen God give them uh, uh, manna uh, to eat. And so they come to a place called Kadesh Barnea. That is a, a, just before the promised land because the whole, the whole idea of this going into the wilderness was eventually to meet God, get instructions from Him, and to go to a place called the Promised Land, which goes all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had been promised to them, but they never could have it. So this select group of people, some two to two and a half million people out of Egypt, are given this land. They finally, after uh, almost 700 years of waiting, they waited to receive. Now they're ready in about 1400 B.C. They're ready to go into the Promised Land. Now the problem with all that is the Promised Land is inhabited. It's inhabited by seven great nations, the Bible says, greater than the Israelites. The Israelites probably were the ones who built a lot of what we see over in Egypt. They were builders. They were farmers. You know, they were construction people. They were not warriors. The Egyptians were the warriors. The uh, Israelites were the farmers, the construction people. So they were not adept at fighting and war. Didn't have really probably the tools of war. Did not have chariots. And so they enter into the Kadesh Barnea area, and that is right on the edge of the border of this thing called the Promised Land, which is inhabited by seven great nations. And they send into that area 12 spies, 12 spies, one from each tribe, one leader from each tribe. These weren't just your average people. These were your leadership people. These were people who had, by their activity, had re- been raised up to be the leader. This is our, out of, out of one tribe, this would be our best guy, send him. The tribe of Judah, this is our best guy, send him. So they send these 12 spies into this land, they come back. And this is where we picked the story up in Numbers. Take your Bible if you want to. I'll just read it for you. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26 through 33. And they went and came to Moses and to Aaron, to all the congregation of the children of Israel, under the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh, 
and brought back word unto them unto the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us. Surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And it was unbelievable. Nevertheless, the people were strong, be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. Jerusalem, or Jericho, according to when I was over there and walked around in the walled city of Jericho, the ruins of it, the guide, which is highly knowledgeable in all that area, said those walls could have been 80 feet high. So that's very great. Moreover, the children of Anak are there. Those were giants. Those were people like 13 feet tall. Those were like Andre the Giant type people or bigger. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, Canaanites dwell over the sea, the coast of Jordan. That was uh, 10 of the 12 tribes. That was their report. And Caleb and Joshua, Caleb and Joshua had a, had a same mind. They came back with a little different opinion. Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. So ten of them said, We're not able to do it. Two of them said, it ends up being Joshua and Caleb, we can do it. They brought the evil report of the land, these ten, which they had searched into the children of Israel, saying, The land the, uh, through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature, giants. And there were, we, and there we saw giants, the sons of Anak, we come, we, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. If I may add a little caveat here, we got to quit looking at the giants and start looking at God. The problem these people had is they kept looking at the giants. They looked at the obstacles. They didn't look at the God of the obstacles. So what was the difference between Joshua, Caleb, and the ten men? Now, every time I hold my hand up like this, I want you to say two words. Miracle space. Every time I hold my two hands up, I want you to say two words together, hopefully perfectly in unison. Are you ready to practice? Okay. Okay. So what was the difference between these ten spies and Joshua and Caleb, this leadership group that went into the land and spied it out? They all saw the high-walled cities. They all saw the giants. They all saw the chariots. They all saw the obstacles that were going to prevent them from taking it. What was the difference? That's right. That was the difference. Joshua and Caleb looked at the obstacles as opportunities for God to show himself strong and to overcome and to conquer. The ten looked at the obstacles without faith through the eyes, looking at a small God and an unable God to help them and shook in their boots, came back and said, this place will eat us up, eat us for lunch. We're not men of war. They are. They got walled cities. We don't have any implements to overcome the walled cities. We are death eating a cracker. We got one foot in a banana peel, one foot in a grave. That's in the Hebrew. 
God wants to show you and, and me his power. How is he going to do that? The reason many times we do not see God's power in our life is because we simply won't let him show it to us. That may be a new thought. You won't let him show it to you. I remember when I got the call to be the senior pastor of this church, I, I went before God and shut it, went in a room, shut the door and said, God, I have no gifts or abilities to do this. Uh, I began to look at the high walls and the chariots and began to look at the obstacles and, and began to, and I know myself fairly well and knew that this was, you know, I may preach a year and after a year I won't have anything else to say and I'll, I'll just have to resign and, and, and it'll be the biggest embarrassment of my whole life or they may just fire me. How about that? And, and this, do you really, through that wrestling I had, I basically took the side of Joshua and Caleb. And I thought, being a senior pastor at Gospel Baptist Church is going to be, oh, no, that was poor. It's going to be, it's going to be an opportunity for God to show himself strong through, through a young man that had no gifts or abilities or talents to do it. And God loves people without gifts or abilities. God loves people that, are, that do not rely on their talent, but rely on God. He loves people. He's looking for people like that. He delights to reveal to you his reality. But to do that, we must give God Space to work. So what is miracle space? It is space to work. God will bring you to the utter, to the very edge of catastrophe, at least in your eyes. He'll show you the impossible and then ask you to go forward. What? If you have no faith, you'll throw your hands up, scream, and run the other way. But what you will miss is seeing that there is a God. You will miss seeing the power of God. God may call some of you to teach the Sunday school class, and you just are burdened to do it, but you say, I don't have the ability, don't have the talent, don't have this, don't have that, don't even like kids. God will cause you to love kids if you give him some. That's right. Give him some space to work, and God will do that. Man, there are all kinds of giants in life, amen? But God can overcome them. Do you believe God is a God that can do the impossible? Do you believe God is a God that can do the impossible? It's one thing to say amen. It's a whole other thing to be facing a situation where it looks impossible, but you know God wants you to do it. Yeah. I think of the crossing of the Red Sea, Exodus chapter 14, verse 1 through 16. Uh, what God did there was God took them out of the land of, of Egypt and he, he told them, that to, he gave them the path to go. He guided them and he guided them into a funnel. The Red Sea in front of them, mountains on the south of them, mountains on the north of them with an, just one opening. It was a, it was a three-sided closure and the, and the Egyptians, after the children of Israel were out of there, they, they kind of shook themselves and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Who's going to mow the lawn? 
Who's going to wash our windows? Who's going to clean our house? Who's going to build our buildings? Who's going to take the trash out? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? Because the children of Israel were servants to the Egyptians. They said, we've been crazy. We, we shouldn't have let them go. And so they assembled. The Bible says they assembled a six hundred. Well, they assembled 600 chariots. It was all the chariots they had, all the leadership they had, their entire army, and they began to pursue after them. Let's, let's pick the story up in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10 through 12. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. Now, these are, the, these are the people that saw the ten greatest miracles anybody's ever seen. They saw Egypt humbled beyond belief, and they were sore afraid. The Israelites were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. We need to quit beholding the Egyptians and keep beholding Jesus. Things are going crazy today. you got Black Lives Matter trying to create new country within a city, new, 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 new zones and all this other talk going on, and crazy talk of, of revolution and anarchy. And we don't, we don't need to be looking at all that. We need to look at the Lord Jesus. And they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us and carried us out of Egypt? So now... The children of Israel here are telling them, well, what, what's going on? Is not this the word which we told thee in Egypt? Saying, let us alone that, they, that we may serve the Egyptians. We would rather be slaves to the Egyptians who own our bodies than it would be for us to come out here and serve the living God. That hurt God's feelings. That hurt mine. For it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than it would be to die in a wilderness. You know what they did not have? They didn't have any miracle space, brother. They didn't give God any room to do anything. We're giving it up. It's over. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, verse, four, verse 13, Exodus chapter 14. Fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, for which he will show to you today for the Egyptians whom you see today. You shall not see them again anymore, nevermore. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall behold, he shall, and you'll just hold your peace the Lord said to Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speaking of the children of Israel, go forward. Well, the Red Sea is ahead of them. You know what happened. God said, Lift your hand up, lift your hand up. And God caused a great wind to come all that night, and he opened the Red Sea. I think personally, I think uh Grady McMurtry is right on that. He froze, he not only pushed the water up, but froze it. And they walked through on dry land. Well, frozen ground is dry land. And he walked through, because cold air is usually very dry air. And he went through on dry land, and they had these two, the Bible says there were two mountains of water on one side and another. And they got to see that, tell their grandchildren about that, walk all the way across that thing, because God said, go forward. They got, to see, they got to see the miracle of Almighty God that no generation has ever been able to see since then. Why? They were able to believe God and give him some miracle space. They followed Moses, you know. And they gave Moses enough, enough credit that Moses said, God said, go forward. They said, okay, we'll go. When Egyptians came behind him, what happened? 
The Bible says the sun was risen. Very likely melted that to the place where it collapsed and drowned the Egyptians. And the Bible says that on the other shore, they saw the bodies of the Egyptians floating up onto the other shore. And brother, by the grace of God, uh, whoever opposes God will fail. In the big picture, they will fail. We can trust God, but we got to give Him. You got to give God some miracle space. You got to give Him some space to work. God wants God leads you to some situations that seem so crazy because He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to rely on Him. Uh, let, let's go to the uh, feeding of the four thousand. I'm kind of perusing through the Bible. The feeding of the 4,000. Matthew chapter 15, verse 32. Then Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. And I I think the disciples says so. It's not in the Bible. So his disciples said unto him, When should we have so much bread in the wilderness to fill so great a multitude? What is that? Jesus said, we're going to eat, we're going to feed them. They had seen Jesus do a lot of things. They had seen Jesus do many miracles up to this point. But they had not given him any, they were not giving him any miracle space at this point. They said, how in the world are we going to feed this? And I believe there could be, from the Bible's account of this, there's like, we're talking like 12,000 people, minimum, minimum 12,000 people. And in verse 34 of Matthew 15, it says, And Jesus said unto them, How many loaves have ye? Now, did Jesus know how many loaves they had? He knew how many loaves they had. So why did he ask them how many loaves have ye? Because he wanted them to see... It was not possible. I love that. God will bring you to a place in life, and you'll say it's not possible. God, and and you're, that's good, because that's exactly where God wants you to go. He wants you to say, this is impossible. That's where I was uh, when I was in that room that day deciding whether to go forward or not with God when he wanted me to, to be the senior pastor here. I said, it's not going to be possible for me to do this without you, without you. He said, exactly right. With you, it's not possible, but with me, all things are possible. I thought, wow, I'm scared to death. He says, it's okay, you can do it. So I asked him, how many loaves? He said, well, we got seven loaves, a few fish. The impossible is God's opportunity. The impossible is God's opportunity. You just got to give him... Oh, that was pitiful. You just got to give him... Amen. You do. When you leave here today, I want you to... In your mind, I want that to play over miracle space. Miracle space. Miracle space. Because situations are going to come in your life just like these situations that you're not going to see a way out, and you're not going to see a cure. You're not going to see something 
an escape. And you're going to have to get before God as a born-again Christian and say, God, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. But I know who's doing it. And I trust you enough to give you some miracle space, some space to do a miracle, because I believe you're the God that can do anything. And then you get to see the power of God, and you get to see the presence of God right in front of you. I think lastly about Peter walking on the water. Let's take that up in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. Peter walking on water. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. This is verse 22. And go before him into the other side. And they went and they sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up in the mountain apart to pray. And when evening was come, he was there alone. But his disciples in the ship here were now in the midst of the sea. By the way, I've been there. They're seven mile wide. The Sea of Galilee is seven mile wide and 13 miles long. So they were three and a half miles out in the Sea of Galilee. And things were not good. And they were tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. What the, our guide told us, because we went out on a, on a boat. If you go there, you got this little tour boat. You go out into the middle, and they kind of park out in the middle and stop. And now that day, we could see the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and we could see the southern part of the Sea of Galilee. And, and we could see the eastern part, eastern shore, and we could see the western shore. It was a pretty clear day. And so this thing's bothering me. You notice that? These newfangled things. So we could see all of that. And he says, you're probably parked pretty close to where Jesus walked on the water. Anybody want to get out? But I thought that was good. But he said, what happens is you'll be perfectly calm like it was the day we were there. And he says, a big wind will come down Mount Hermon up there in the north, and it'll come down that mountain, and it's kind of like a funnel. The mountain's on both sides of the Sea of Galilee. And he says, that wind will come down like a funnel right down the, the Sea of Galilee. And man, the Sea of Galilee is deep. It's deep. And he said, what will happen is it'll go from calm to rough, and I mean rough like endanger your life, especially with a boat that you're like trying to keep in the waves with an oar or a sail. And that's what these guys were in. And they got to the middle, and it's already at night. In fact, it's quite, a, quite late at night. They're giving it the best they can. They've had a hard day. They're tired. They're in the middle of the, they're not able to sleep. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's rough. The, the waves contrary. Everything's going against them. Midst of the sea, verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, that's in the wee hours of the morning, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. I ask a question. Why did Jesus, now Jesus knew they were there and knew what was going to happen, and he sent them out for this to happen. Why did he walk close enough so that they could see him? He could have went another way. Why did he walk close enough so they could see him? Miracle space. He literally set it up to show himself strong in their behalf, to see where their faith was. Well, let's read on. And, and his, when his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it's a spirit, 
and they cried out in fear. Don't be too hard on them. I've never seen anybody walking on the water. Had I seen somebody walking on the water, I wouldn't say, oh, oh, that's Jesus. Um, straightway, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. I preach a whole other message on get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. A lot of times as Christians, it's safe to be in the boat. It's comfortable to be in the boat. But God says, I want you to come out here with me. Come out with me. God calls you to come out with him. He says, I want you to go door to door. Come out with me. And you say, oh, I can't do that. He, want, he wants you to be a bus captain, a bus driver. He wants you to get out of the boat. Come with him. Oh, I don't know. I don't have a talent. I don't have a ability. I don't want to. And, and everything God asks you, you're like throwing up these roadblocks. When really what we need to learn to do is give God miracle space so that he can show himself strong in our behalf. Peter, man, Peter got it. He had it. He had it. He said, hey, can I come out and walk on the water? You know, she didn't see the rest of them boys talking like that. One guy, Peter, no wonder he was picked as a leader. And so he said, God, Jesus said, come on out. Come on out. <laughs> and uh, he, said, he said, come, and Peter was come down, verse 29 of the ship. He walked on water to go to Jesus. And then as he's going to Jesus, his eyes left Jesus and went to his circumstances. How many times do we do this? We start out right. We put our eyes on Jesus. Everything's going to be, I'm trusting God for what's going on. But eventually, as it plays its way out, we begin to put our eyes on our circumstances. And we look in that and we say, boy, the wind is boisterous. And he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Praise God, there's repentance. And God will listen to us. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him. And he said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when he's coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And look at verse 33, and this is the purpose, the purpose, look at me, the purpose of is verse 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Not the Son of God by hearsay. Not the Son of God because somebody had talked to him about Jesus, but now they were convinced inside out that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. God knows you and I need to believe that to make it. God knows when this whole thing shakes down, you've got to come to the place where from the inside out you believe, honestly, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not because the preacher said so. Not because the teacher said so. But because God came and God's manifest presence has been, has been exemplified in your life and you've seen God do things that were not possible. How do you do that? Miracle space. Miracle space. It's the purpose. 
Why did Jesus walk so close to them? So that they could have an opportunity to see some miracle space. Why were the rough seas boisterous and the wind boisterous? Because they could have some miracle space. So God needs people who will trust him. I think we need to leave in our lives some space for God to work. And don't throw our hands up and say, all is lost. There's giants in the land. There's iron chariots, and we're never going to be able to beat them. They have high-walled cities. We're never going to be able to take them. There's no hope in sight. All human effort is vain. You may be facing today some insurmountable insurmountable tests coming to you. Possibly cancer, possibly financial crisis, maybe a home crisis. Trouble, if you trust God, can be your friend. God wants to show himself strong in your behalf and my behalf. Second Chronicles 16.9 God wants you to be total and loyal to him so he can show you and show his strength through you, not just to you, to others. We need to get out of the boat like Peter, go across the dry ground like Moses, give a positive report like Caleb and Joshua, and feed the 12,000 from seven loaves and a few fish by the grace of God. A statement made by F.B. Meyer, which was a pastor in London, England, at the same time as C.H. Spurgeon. C.H. Spurgeon pastored in London from, I believe, 1860 to about 1890-something. And across town, F.B. Meyer, you would not want to be the preacher across town from C.H. Spurgeon. But God bless F.B. Meyer, and God did bless F.B. Meyer. He had a great work. Here's what he said. Unbelief puts our circumstances between us and God. Belief puts God between us and our circumstances. Take that home. Put God between you and your circumstances. And the way you do that is give God miracle space. Father, thank you for the few minutes we've had together. May Lord God, in a simple little message, you build our faith in who you are. Build our faith in your power. Build our faith in your person. Oh, Father, there may be some here this morning who are weak in their faith or doubt God They're like those ten spies, but look at all the circumstances and saying it's not going to happen, it can't happen. God, help us. Rather than crying out to God and saying, I believe you can do it. Lord Jesus, may you work this morning. There could be someone here without Christ, their personal Savior. May you consider Jesus as an author and a finisher of your salvation and faith. He went to the cross. He died for you, paid for all of your sins with his precious blood. He was God's son. God could give no more than his son. That's how much he loved you. The Bible says, for God so loved that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
you're on the very brink of saying yes to the Lord Jesus, receiving eternal life and having and being born from above, please talk to us about it. Let us just sit down, chat, take the Bible, show you the words of God that we were shown. We're here for you. Father, do a mighty work in our midst. Lord, in our country, we don't know really what's going on, but we know that this is an opportunity for you to work. Do a great and mighty work, which we know not. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.